1: The following podcast is going to contain spoilers along with unfettered feelings of nostalgia. Proceed at your own risk. Folks, pet the dog and split the log. It's time for Event or Else, the comic book show where I go through most every major Marvel and DC event, one issue at a time, one episode at a time, because honestly, I was told there would be cheese at the end. A lifetime of cheese. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and today, I'd like to continue with much of the same and talk to you a bit about Crisis on Infinite Earths. In this episode, we're looking at issue number seven, which is entitled Beyond the Silent Night. But first, it's retraction time. See, in the previous episode in which I talked about issue number six of Crisis on Infinite Earths, I credited the inks to Dick Giordano when actually they were done by Jerry Ordway. In fact, Jerry Ordway also inked issue number five, Mike DiCarlo inked issue number four, and Dick Giordano, along with Mike DiCarlo, inked issue number three. I can only blame myself here, folks, and promise, nay, vow, that I will do better in future episodes, and hope that we can all just get past what is, in all fairness, a colossally stupid mistake. Forgive and forget, I say, especially when I'm the one in the wrong. Anyway, issue number seven of Crisis on Infinite Earths was published by DC Comics with a cover date of October of 1985, and it was written by Marv Wolfman, with pencils by George Perez, inks by Dick Giordano and Jerry Ordway, letters by John Costanza, and the colors were by Tom Ziuko. Our issue opens on a hunk of rock floating in space. Atop that rock are Alex Luther and Lila, who are soon joined by Pariah, who just wants to know what his part in all of this is. Lila tells him that she knows what the Monitor had planned for him, but frankly, wants to gather up representatives from the five remaining universes, plus the one representative from the universe that didn't survive, before she explains. She probably just doesn't want to repeat herself. I get that. Meanwhile, on Earth-S, Savannah and Ibak are pulled from the Earth and into Brainiac's ship. Is this where the villains from the previous issue went? Did I pronounce Ibbak right? Probably not. Anyway, before we can dwell on that for too long, Lila, Alex, and Pariah gather their six representatives, one each from the remaining five universes and one from a universe that is no more. We have Captain Marvel from Earth-S, Blue Beetle from Earth-4, Uncle Sam from Earth-X, both Supermen, one from Earth-1 and the one from Earth-2, And finally, Lady Quark, whose universe didn't make it. And so, with everyone now present on the chunk of space rock, Lila tells her tale. Ten billion years ago, on a world called Oa, the Owens were like gods who had lived in peace and harmony for more years than they could count. No other world could rival Oa in knowledge and science and, and all that learning stuff. One among them, an Owen named Crona, sought to learn the origin of the universe. The others pleaded with him not to try, worried that the discovering of the origin would only lead to their destruction. But Crona ignored them and plotted on. Soon he found that which he had sought. Through his machine, he saw an image of a giant hand forming out of nothingness and clutching a cluster of stars. But before he could see more, Bad things began to happen. The antimatter universe was formed, but more than that, the positive matter universe, Krona's universe, had been replicated over and over and over and over and over, etc. Due to Krona's search for the origin of the universe, both the antimatter universe and the multiverse were born. But within the multiverse, only the planet Oa did not replicate. Instead, it's double formed in the antimatter universe as a world they called Quard. The Owens, after sending Krona off into space as punishment for his crimes, could see the evil of the antimatter universe and took steps to defend their universe by first creating the robot Manhunters and then abandoning them to create the Green Lantern Corps. Both Oa and Quard had a moon, and on each of these moons, life was born. On the moon of Quard was born the Anti-Monitor, who took control of Quard and created an army of unstoppable warriors known as the Thunderers. Among those, he selected a chosen few to be his personal guard, and they became the Shadow Demons. The Anti-Monitor was all-powerful, and yet he was not satisfied. He craved more. It wasn't long before he sensed his positive matter self on the moon of Oa, the Monitor. And soon, the two were at war, a war that lasted a million years, in which neither side could win, until eventually, they struck each other down, and the two slipped into comas. There they remained for more than nine billion years, until Pariah came along and freed the Anti-Monitor. See, Pariah was a scientist of much renown on one of the many Earths. He was super famous and had an ego the size of a planet. Eventually, he decided that he would use his big brains to build a machine that would show him the origin of the universe, which we all know by now is a bad thing. Anyway, he builds an antimatter chamber, which he thinks will allow him to watch the birth of the universe in safety. And so, stepping into the chamber, he sees the giant hand clutching the stars and all that stuff. But here's the thing. Positive matter and antimatter can't exist together. So, doing what he did created a chain reaction that destroyed his world and woke the anti-monitor. All while Pariah remained safe within the antimatter chamber. But that's not all. When Pariah's positive matter universe was destroyed... The antimatter universe expanded to take its place and grew in power, power that the anti-monitor fed on, giving the anti-monitor a new mission in life: destroy all of the positive matter universes and feed on that power. Not to fear, however, for the monitor woke from his coma as well and could see what the anti-monitor was planning, and so he took steps He fashioned a globe of energy through which he could see Pariah floating in his netherverse and devised a way to use Pariah to help save the day. The Monitor then created his satellite to travel throughout the multiverse. And since somehow Pariah could sense which universe would be destroyed next, the Monitor could follow him. The problem, however, was that each time a positive matter universe was destroyed, the anti-monitor became more powerful as the monitor grew weaker. And so the monitor scoured the multiverse for heroes who might help in the fight. And it was then that he found Lila as a child in the middle of the sea, floating on a wreckage of a sunken ship. He took her in and he raised her. At this point in the story, Lady Quark then confronts Pariah, threatening to kill him for unleashing the evil that destroyed her world and killed her family. Uncle Sam, however, steps in and defends Pariah, saying that he's suffered enough and that it's time for them to band together to save those worlds that can still be saved. In the meantime, the five universes continue to merge, which is a path to their destruction. Back on the asteroid, more heroes have joined the others, those that have been chosen to take the fight to the Anti-Monitor. We have Mon-El, the Supermen of Earth 1 and 2, Lady Quark, Captain Atom, Jade, Green Lantern of Earth 2, Wonder Woman, Captain Marvel, The Ray, John Jones, Wildfire, Firestorm, Dr. Light, and Supergirl. Alex Luther, it turns out, being made up of both positive and antimatter, can open the door to the antimatter universe. And then once the heroes are in, Pariah can lead the group to where the anti-monitor hangs his hat. This they now do. Soon they arrive at the anti-monitor's fortress, but they have not taken the enemy by surprise. The Anti-Monitor has seen them coming, and so orders Psycho-Pirate to use his emotion-controlling powers on the heroes to make them slaves to their enemy. The problem, however, is that Psycho-Pirate is more than a bit wiped. After controlling the emotions of the populations of three planets at a time, he can't really do much of anything, which of course angers the Anti-Monitor, who quickly realizes that he's going to have to take out these heroes himself. Once inside the fortress, the heroes split up. Suddenly, the fortress attacks as a stone hand forms out of the floor and takes hold of Pariah. Another hand smacks Superman of Earth-2 and sends him flying into a wall and actually makes the man bleed. The other heroes are also waylaid by the fortress guardians, all under the direction of the Anti-Monitor. The heroes, it seems, being in the antimatter universe, aren't really having a good time of it, But eventually, Dr. Light and the Superman of Earth-1 find a machine that Dr. Light identifies as a solar collector that is reducing the vibrational differences of the five remaining Earths, which of course is what's causing the Earths to merge. And once they've merged, as I've mentioned before, the five Earths will be destroyed. Superman realizes that he must destroy the machine, but before he can the Anti-Monitor attacks, hurting Superman badly enough that the man calls out in pain. Supergirl, off somewhere fighting the fortress, hears his cry and rushes to intervene. She arrives just as the Anti-Monitor is about to kill Superman, and so she hurls herself into the enemy with all of her strength. She then starts wailing on the Anti-Monitor with savage intent, She cares, not a whit for her own safety as long as she can keep her cousin Superman safe. The fight is brutal, each side trying their best to destroy the other. Soon, Supergirl has the Anti-Monitor on the ropes, having destroyed most of his body. But the Anti-Monitor, being the evil dude he is, decides that if he's going to die, he's taking them all with him. And the fortress starts a shaking. Supergirl, knowing now what she has to do, tells Dr. Light to save Superman, and that when she makes her move, Dr. Light is to take Superman to the others and get their behinds out of the antimatter universe. Then Supergirl strikes, flying into the anti monitor and pushing him back into the solar collector where she continues to pound on the enemy. Unfortunately, Dr. Light does not do what she was told and hesitates remaining behind just long enough to distract Supergirl. And so, as Supergirl turns from the anti-monitor to call out to Dr. Light to go, the enemy takes advantage and blasts her. Superman, Clark, screams out Supergirl's name, Kara. But it's too late. The anti-monitor, his body in ruins, makes his escape as Clark rushes to Kara's side, cradling her body in his. Kara... Even as her life fades, tries to console Clark, telling him that she knew what she was doing, that she just wanted him to be safe, as he means so much to the world. Clark, with tears in his eyes, tells Kara that she destroyed the machines. The five remaining Earths are safe, thanks to her. Then, Kara passes. Clark, his pain turning to rage, vows to kill the Anti-Monitor for what he has done. But the Earth-2 Superman talks him down. And so, Clark takes up his cousin's body, and the heroes leave as the fortress falls apart behind them. The five remaining Earths have stopped merging, and for now, are safe. Memorial services are held for Supergirl in Chicago, where Batgirl speaks, praising the life of her friend as the heroes watch on in sorrow. In the meantime, Clark takes Kara, wrapped head to toe in red, into space for her final rest. And with that, it's time for the top three things to dwell on. Except, nah, let's do something different this week, because I wasn't reading DC Comics at the time that The Crisis was published, so I'm not sure what kind of reaction the death of Supergirl had with the fans, but I have to imagine it was a big deal. Nowadays, of course, it seems you can't do an event without killing somebody off, only then to bring them back within, like, a year, making those deaths nothing more... Then meaningless sensationalism. But back then, well, I'm sure it was met with a much different reaction. So rather than look at three moments from the issue, I wanted to spend this time talking about the first appearance of Supergirl from Action Comics number 252, which, according to DCFandom.com, carried a cover date of May 1959, but was published on March 31st of the same year. The issue was written by Otto Binder, with art by Al Plastino, The story opens with Clark hanging at the Daily Planet when his super hearing picks up a roaring sound far out of town. Using his telescopic vision, he spies a rocket crashing to Earth and somehow deduces that there's a passenger inside. Clark quickly changes into Superman and zooms out to the crash site where he finds a smoking rocket that reminds him a bit of the rocket that brought him to Earth when he was Super Baby. Yeah, Super Baby. And as much as I'd like to unpack all of that here and now, we just don't have the time. However, I will be talking about the Super Baby story that appeared in Superboy 112 from back in 1964 on the podcast I do every Friday on my Patreon. It's called My Other Podcast. And for just a dollar a month, you'll not only get the episode in which I'm talking about the Super Baby on Friday Friday. January the 28th, but you'll also have access to over 200 more episodes. Join us over at patreon.com slash Stephen R. and start binging. Anyway, Superman peels open the crashed rocket and a blonde teenage girl in a uniform similar to his pops out. Superman is completely baffled until she tells her story. By sheer luck, as she puts it, during the destruction of Krypton, a street full of homes was torn from the planet and thrown out into space, escaping the explosion. Luckily, among the survivors was a scientist named Zorel, who quickly learned that a large bubble of air came along with the chunk of Krypton, and that their food machine was still working. Unfortunately, the explosion turned their planet into kryptonite as it was torn asunder and the very chunk of krypton their survivors found themselves on was now also made of kryptonite but again luck was upon the survivors for jorel had a roll of lead sheet metal in his lab that they used to cover the surface of their chunk keeping the radiation at bay soon zorel married and the two had themselves a little girl named kara but then as she grew into a teenager, a meteor flock, I guess they didn't call them showers back then, smashed into their chunk of Krypton and tore holes in their lead shielding. Zorel estimated that they had a month to live and set forth at once to build a rocket so that they could send their daughter to safety. Apparently Kryptonians can only build rockets for individuals. Anyway, as he was building the rocket, his wife who they don't name at all in the story, uses their super space telescope to find a planet for Kara. They find Earth and Superman, and soon they're able to dial into Earth broadcasts using their space radio, which Kara then uses to learn English and to learn that Superman came from Krypton and that he gained superpowers on Earth due to Earth's lesser gravity. And so, as her family and friends are dying, Kara is shot into space, and she lands on Earth. When Superman mentions to her that his father was named Jor-El, Kara tells him that Zor-El was Jor-El's brother, meaning that the two of them are cousins. Yay! Superman tells Kara that since they are family, he's going to take care of her. She takes this to mean that she's going to move in with him, but no, he tells her, that won't do. He has a secret identity to maintain, and for the life of him, can't come up with a credible reason why a teenage girl would suddenly start living with him. Instead, he does the only thing his super brain can come up with. He puts a wig of brown pigtails on her and dumps her off in an orphanage in Midvale, where, he says, she'll live for a long time to come. Then he leaves. He just straight up leaves. The orphanage, it turns out, is full. And so Kara, who has taken the Earth name Linda Lee, is given a dirty room with a cracked mirror and a bed with a bent leg. No biggie, though. She uses her super strength to fix the leg on the bed, her super breath to blow all the dirt out of the room, and the heat of her X-ray vision to fuse the cracked mirror smooth again. She also uses her x-ray vision to spy on the other orphans and hopes she'll be able to make friends with them. Then, during a night patrol, she finds a theater that's playing a movie about Superboy and hopes that someday she can do as good a job as he has done before heading to her new home, the overcrowded orphanage. Now, sure, Supergirl has come a long way from being dumped and dismissed without much thought by her super cousin to heroically sacrificing her life to save both Superman and the lives of everyone on the five remaining Earths. But come on, Superman, you could have done a bit better for Kara if you'd given it more than three seconds of thought. Ah, well. Anyway, that's how Supergirl started her life in the DC Universe. And that, folks, is about all the time I have for in this episode. Crisis on Infinite Earths is really blowing my mind. I mean... I just can't imagine where they go from here. They've halted the merging of the remaining universes, but they're still just sitting there, partially merged. So what's next? The anti-monitor is still alive, but he ain't got no body. So what's that dude gonna do? And come on, they killed off Supergirl. Is anybody safe at this point? Those are just some of the questions we hope to answer next time in issue number eight of Crisis on Infinite Earths, A flash of lightning. You're going to want to be there for that one, folks. Like, seriously. Event or Else is a presentation of the Just Another Fanboy podcast. Questions and comments can be directed to eventorelse at gmail.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash or And get instant access to the My Other Podcast podcast, a weekly show where I talk about all the nerdy type things I don't have time to talk about in all my other podcast episodes. I also encourage you to rate the show wherever available and share the podcast with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. (laughs) <laughs> uh that may go at the end of the sentence. better.